Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, believing it's not just about living longer, it's about living healthier longer. Providing medical diagnostics to help catch deadly or debilitating diseases early. You can learn more on proactive screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Georgia is playing a key role as a congressional panel in Washington investigates the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. False claims that Mr. Trump and his supporters made about suitcases of fake ballots in Georgia. This week, former U.S. Attorney B.J. Pack told the committee how the Justice Department asked him to investigate a false claim about election fraud in Georgia, being spread by Rudy Giuliani, former President Trump's one-time lawyer. Nothing irregular happened in the county, and the allegations made by Mr. Giuliani uh, were false. And while Capitol Hill focuses on Trump's role in spreading election lies, Republican congressional candidates in Georgia are at each other's throats with runoffs next week that may tell us more about Trump's lasting power. I was not behind Governor Kemp 100% in the primary. Why? Because he didn't stand up for election integrity. Some Republicans are worried about these brawls and are calling for unity. we got to stop the infight. However these uh, runoffs come out, uh, we got to, the losers have to chug along with the train and go with the the party. From Washington to Georgia, what are we learning about Trump's hold on the GOP? And later, what role could black voters play in a U.S. Senate race that features two black men? I'm Sam Greenglass, politics reporter at WABE in Atlanta. I'm Emma Hurt of Axios Atlanta. And I'm Raul Bally, WABE politics reporter. Our editor, Susanna Capilouto, is away on assignment. And this is Georgia Votes 2022, a weekly podcast from WABE in Atlanta that's all about the midterm. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an impact. I vote because I want leaders who care voting about Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. Sam, you've been focusing on the hearings of the January 6th committee on Capitol Hill. Tell me about the role Georgia has played so far. Well, at the beginning of this week, the committee heard from B.J. Pack, as we mentioned, who is actually a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. And what he talked about is how after the election, former Attorney General Bill Barr asked Pack to investigate a claim being spread by Giuliani that there was video footage showing a suitcase full of ballots being brought into a boat counting center in Atlanta, State Farm Arena. Well, investigators determined that this was not anything nefarious. It was an official ballot lockbox that was keeping ballots safe and secure, and that the allegations being spread by Giuliani were false. Well, Pack reported this back to Barr, who relayed the findings to then-President Trump, But Trump touted the false claims anyways, even knowing that this had been disproven in an investigation. And then last year, Pack told Congress that he resigned from his job after hearing Trump was planning to fire him. And Sam, there was another development this week, right? 
Yeah, we learned that Georgia Republican Congressman Barry Loudermilk uh, led a tour of the U.S. Capitol complex the day before the January 6th insurrection. Uh, this is according to newly released surveillance footage uh, that was uh, distributed by the committee, and it shows Loudermilk guiding visitors as they took photos of security desks and hallways and tunnels that lead to the Capitol. And the committee also says that at least one person on this tour later marched toward the Capitol on January 6th, threatening Democratic members of Congress. And Loudermilk notes that the Capitol Police have cleared him of any wrongdoing. They also declared that the tour was not suspicious. Loudermilk says that none of the people on the tour have been charged with any crimes in connection to January 6th, and that this committee is spreading a false narrative. And Emma, it looks like Georgia will again be a big focus in next week's hearing when Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and one of his key staffers, Gabe Sterling, are scheduled to testify. You're right. It's going to be kind of Georgia Day at the January 6th committee. The question I have watching their testimonies, are they going to say anything new? Both of these men have been pretty public about their interactions with the president. We have the whole leaked call of the president pressuring uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger to find the votes. And, um, you know, they've testified before the Fulton Grand Jury. The question, again, is are we going to learn anything new from their testimony? And I do want to mention that county grand jury that's meeting here in Atlanta that's looking at election interference by former President Trump. Also on Tuesday, the state attorney general, Chris Carr, is scheduled to appear before that grand jury. So let me let me walk everyone through what our crazy Tuesday is going to be. You've got the primary runoffs here in Georgia on Tuesday. You've got the 1-6 committee hearing in Washington, the Fulton County Grand Jury, and to top it all off, Tuesday is my birthday. <laughs> big day, HBD, big day. Raul. <laughs> <laughs> so Raul, you have been on the road at some GOP events uh, as we look to next week when we've got two very competitive GOP runoffs in the 6th and 10th congressional districts. Um, tell me a little bit about what you learned. So let's talk about the 10th. It's a heavily Republican district that runs from the East Atlanta suburbs toward Augusta. It includes Athens, the home of the University of Georgia. Both Mike Collins and Vernon Jones showed up to this week's Walton County GOP meeting. That's a county that's east of Atlanta. And the fireworks that have been happening in that race continue. Now, let me give you the picture. Both men are on a church stage. The county party chair is standing in the middle, taking questions from the audience. When someone asked Mike and Vernon, if they'll support each other, if the other person wins the primary, and if they would support Republican incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. Mike Collins' answer was straightforward. He's 100% behind Governor Kemp. Vernon Jones's answer was very different. And as you listen to this, you can hear members of the audience yelling back. So, but you talked, about, you talked about supporting Kemp. I'm not going to blindly support a rhino. I am not going to do that. I'm not going to blindly support somebody who I disagree with. Now, let me go to Mike. And the odd thing in the end, Vernon Jones eventually said he would support Kemp. By the way, we should say that Kemp did something he hasn't done very much of this election cycle. Uh, he stepped in and made an endorsement for Mike Collins. Again, this sets up this dynamic of Governor Kemp versus Donald Trump as the former president has endorsed Vernon Jones in that race. All of that being said, that wasn't even the wildest moment of this week as Vernon Jones filed a police report after Mike Collins tweeted a picture of a gun 
and a safety whistle or a rape whistle with Vernon Jones's name on it. It'd make reference to a 2005 rape accusation that never went to trial. The sheriff's department there told me they didn't look at the tweet as a threat. Again, the idea of unity in the fall. And in that exact same meeting, you heard at the beginning of the show, Republican State Senator Bill Cowsert calling for the end of infighting at that same event. I also talked to a Republican voter, Bernard Whalen of Monroe, and this is what he had to say about, in the end, Republicans coming together. Make sure you tell every Republican out there that they have to vote, that their vote counts. And if there's a big red wave, like they're saying there's going to be, that's how they're going to make it happen. Yeah, and you know, it's the same story over in the 6th District. Um, newly Republican drawn and likely whoever wins this primary will become the congressman. And you have Jake Evans, who is the Trump-endorsed candidate, a Republican lawyer, and Rich McCormick, a Marine veteran and emergency room physician, really fighting it out. But you know, what's really fascinating to me is we have these two outstanding races with two Trump-endorsed opponents in what was at one point appearing to be Trump's, you know, biggest target state in Georgia, and we haven't heard anything from President Trump about these runoffs. It seems that beyond endorsing these two candidates, he has kind of abandoned campaigning for them or recording ads or anything else for them. So they're kind of on their own. And that, to me, is most interesting when you look at these races in a national context. And Emma, before we take a break, I just want to ask you about some news out this week. Uh, We're starting to see some candidates roll out policy platforms. Democratic nominee for governor Stacey Abrams has rolled out a criminal justice policy plan. Uh, You had an early look at it, and I'm curious what struck you about that policy and the choice that Abrams is making to prioritize that particular issue at this point in the race. Yeah, she rolled out a massive plan tying gun control measure proposals with criminal justice reform. And it's an interesting combination of, you know, pushing for a repeal of permitless carry, campus carry, these really strong gun rights expansion bills that have recently passed that would be massive political lifts on top of maybe easier things to get done, you know, a red flag law, closing background check loopholes. But on top of that, she's calling for a resurrection of a past bipartisan criminal justice reform commission that was led by a Republican governor in this state. So I think the plan really reflects how she is not shying away from those gun control measures many Democratic voters are calling for, but she's also pushing this sort of bipartisan approach to it that may appeal to swing voters at the same time. It's almost like a microcosm of the line that a candidate like Abrams has to walk in this election of both making sure you are addressing the issues that your base voters care about, you know, say addressing gun violence, but also taking attack that acknowledges the realities of the political climate in a very narrow state. Absolutely, because even if Abrams wins this seat, she is very likely to have a Republican legislature uh, to work with. And so she knows that her platform has to reflect that. And she is touting her experience working with Republicans in the state legislature as why she would be the one who could get some of these things done, even with a Republican General Assembly. So let's take a break. When we come back, we have a special guest joining the pod. This is Georgia Votes 2022. 
Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. We're back on Georgia Votes 2022, and let's talk a moment about Republican U.S. Senate candidate Herschel Walker. Sam, it's, it's been quite a week. Yeah, I mean, there's been a deluge of negative stories about Walker this week. Um, after a report in the Daily Beast, his campaign confirmed he has three other children uh, who he hasn't talked about and who he doesn't see regularly. Uh, the New York Times had a report out on how Walker has inflated the success of his poultry business. And the AJC reported on how over the years he claimed to be a member of law enforcement. Emma, all these stories... Drip, drip, drip. Does it start to worry the GOP? Does it does it worry even GOP voters? You know, GOP operatives, at least, that I've spoken to since the second story about two additional children broke, are more worried. In the past, these past comments about claiming to have graduated from college, claiming to have been in law enforcement, I think those haven't worried people as much. But the fact that we have two back-to-back -back stories, that we have a statement from yesterday's revelation of one child saying that Walker is proud of his child, not acknowledging two more, and then today another, uh, another report really doesn't look good. The question, again, with Walker, we've said it over and over again, is do voters care? You're right. Do they pay attention? Do they hear this? And does this matter to them with someone who has such a powerful image in Georgia? It's June. The election is in November. That's a lot of time for that news to sink in, but it's also a lot of time for it to fade into the background as well. Okay, so I want to bring in a colleague now, Jasmine Robinson. She's a digital journalist at WABE, and she's been reporting not just on the Walker race, but also about his opponent, incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. Hey, Jasmine. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Jasmine, you looked at how this is kind of the first time in Georgia history where a major office has two black candidates who are their party's nominees. What made you want to start reporting this story? So being a black voter myself, I kind of had this preconceived notion that black voters have race loyalty when it comes to elections. And race loyalty is this idea that, say, for example, there's one black candidate on a ballot. Black voters would default to voting for that candidate regardless of anything else. Um, and what I found reporting on this story is that that's not really true. And I can't confidently say that that's ever been true for Black voters. Um, but in this race, it doesn't matter be because both candidates are Black men. And Jasmine, this is kind of rare, the idea of having two Black nominees running for the U.S. Senate anywhere in this country. Yeah, it's it's super rare. This is only the third time in U.S. history. The first instance happened in Illinois in 2004, where Barack Obama went up against Republican Alan Keyes. The second instance was in 2016 in South Carolina, where current Senator Tim Scott went up against Democrat Thomas Dixon. Can you talk about some of the national context of this race, but also how some of that might be a little different compared to 
other similar races around the country where there aren't two black candidates on the ballot. So just like in every midterm race happening around the country, we are all still dealing with the fallout of the 2020 election. It's been super relevant in Georgia right now. In Georgia, black voters make up a third of the total electorate, and that number is even higher in metro Atlanta and other metro areas in the state. And as we all know, Georgia is a battleground state, and it flipped to being blue in 2020. And you could credit that to black voters having such a big impact. These election lies and all of these efforts to overturn the 2020 election, a lot of people feel like it's challenging the power of black votes. Cliff Albright, who is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter, based here in Atlanta, talked about the big lie and how it's manifesting in this election cycle. Part of what they were trying to overturn wasn't just the national election, but it was specifically votes in certain states, including Georgia, where what they were really saying is that these black votes shouldn't count. You know, I think that's going to be part of the discussion throughout this election cycle here. So I think that that's part of what will have black folks coming out in large numbers. And we've already seen this, right? We even saw this in the primary. Jasmine, I mean, given the fact that these are two black men on the ballot, what have you heard about how you think black voters themselves might be making their decision, or at least how the campaigns are hoping to speak to black voters? Not that, you know, as you've reported, black voters always have race loyalty, but with that completely off the table, how could this play out? So yeah, there's a few things to consider. So one thing, I would say that both candidates in some way or another resonate with Black voters in Georgia. So obviously we know that Raphael Warnock, he's a Morehouse graduate, was a senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and he very much had a rags to riches story, life story really, and so did Herschel Walker. You know, he grew up in a small town in the heart of Georgia, He's most known for his playing days at UGA, and he's widely regarded as the best college football player of all time. And he holds a lot of those conservative family values that Black voters find to be important. Um, So that's one thing to consider when you're thinking about this race. Um, And I think the biggest issues that voters will be thinking about will be kitchen table issues. And these are things like gas prices, grocery prices, inflation, jobs, and unemployment in the economy. So it'll be super, super important how these two candidates will plan to tackle these things. One other thing that will be very important to pay attention to is disinformation. When I was speaking with Cliff Albright, he told me that, you know, disinformation is something that's going to be a threat. And, you know, it's tends to be targeted towards Black voters. So it'll be really important to keep an eye on it. You know, sadly, it can be effective in, you know, getting votes for one candidate or keeping a candidate from getting votes. I wonder if you've heard from voters or analysts that maybe there's a feeling that Democrats have taken these voters for granted and just assume that they're going to come out and vote for Democrats because they typically have in past elections. Yeah, what I found in my reporting is that a lot of Black voters are a little bit jaded with the Democratic Party due, just due to a lot of unfulfilled promises, especially made by Joe Biden. A lot of pe- Democratic voters just feel left behind by the party. Um, and on the flip side, there is there is an opening for Republicans, again, in this race, because Herschel Walker, he brings a fresh take to politics. He's a, he's a new politician, and a lot of people like that. And I'm hearing that this could be something for Republicans to really take advantage of in this election. Thanks so much, Jasmine. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That's Jasmine Robinson, digital journalist at WABE.
All right, before we go, I want to look ahead to next week. A reminder, Democrats have runoffs on Tuesday in several statewide contests. You've got Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, and more. Raul, you were at an early vote site in Gwinnett County. Are voters, especially Democratic voters, fired up to vote again now in a runoff just, you know, a month after the primary? You know, turnout does seem light, even though you've got four statewide runoffs. So one of the interesting people I did run into at that early voting location was actually County Commissioner Kirkland Carden. And and he brought up an interesting point. You know, we've been discussing the idea of black women being kind of the heart of the Democratic Party. And he was looking ahead that what you're seeing are black women candidates on the ballot. Now, with these recent elections, especially um, what I'm seeing this year is the rise of women, especially women of color, being elected to important high-profile county offices, whether it's uh, judgeships, um, your chairwoman, district attorney, solicitor general, you name it. You know, I think for years we've known black women have been the base of the Democratic Party, and now we're starting to see that that important base in the Democratic Party elect women of color to important local positions. And it's a beautiful thing. Looking at the statewide ballot, there's a possibility of up to five black women on the statewide ballot for Democrats. Emma, what are you watching next week? Yeah, so next week we have, you know, the whole Republican statewide ticket is set, but we have several runoffs in statewide Democratic primaries down ballot. And Stacey Abrams, the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, has taken this rare step of endorsing three of them. And so I'm really curious to see, will that matter? You know, this is a primary runoff, a low turnout race. Who's going to show up really determines this race especially? And and do they know that Stacey Abrams has endorsed people? Do they care? And if her endorsees don't win, for example, what does that mean about her influence in the party and how the Democratic ticket might look? in November. And that's it for this week's episode. Emma Heard of Axios and Sam Gringlass of WAB. Have a great weekend. I'm Raul Bally. This is Georgia Votes 2022. We'll be back next week. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.